Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Welcome to our look back at the second day's play in two test matches going on in Australasia. Simon Mann and I are on opposite sides of the world. Simon, you got the, the better deal, really, in Mount Monganui, uh, watching uh, England New Zealand. I'm stuck in a little hole in Stratford in East London, um, watching it overnight. I mean, it's actually not, uh, not that bad, really. It, it's been quite interesting today watching the dominance of Australia, uh, rather uh, putting the uh, effort of the previous day to shame. So I think one-way traffic in the uh, match at the Gabba. What about your game? Well, more even, but I think England are on top after two days. I think England have the edge after the first day. I think England have the edge after the second day, not least because Sam Curran got rid of Kane Williamson towards the close of play and it was the manner of the dismissal more than anything I think which will trouble New Zealand and give England confidence Curran's not the quickest bowling that left arm over the wicket line got one to bounce and take the glove of Williamson and he was caught at slip it just took off and there have been signs during the day of variable bounce and we've still got three days to go the sun is going to beat down for the next three days so you just wonder what the pitch is going to be like on the fifth day and if New Zealand do have to chase some runs on that fifth day you know if England are able to get a decent lead and set them a target in the fourth innings then it could be really difficult for New Zealand to bat out I think at the moment I think England draw New Zealand I think that's how I think it, it stacks up all three results are possible but I think in most likely order at the moment England draw New Zealand well, that's uh, that's good to hear because they really struggled England uh, the last time they were in New Zealand. Bowled out for fifty odd in that first Test and and then didn't uh, manage to win the second one. So, and New Zealand, uh, if they can win this Test match, that will be especially with the the redrafting of the team and the new opening pair and all that. That will be an impressive performance. I don't think there's much doubt about the 
the result in the Gabba Test match. Pakistan 240 all out, which I always sensed after the first day was going to be inadequate. The pitch looked pretty flat. And uh, they got to 75 for no wicket, Pakistan, and then really crumbled away. So they should have made at least 350, 400 first innings. And uh, Australia are going to get, they could easily get 600, actually. It'll only be a question of whether they get bored in the end and want the bowlers to get back into action. But David Warner, uh, incredible return to form for him this Australian summer, six T20 games in which he made 300 runs for once out and now a huge 100 here at the Gabba uh, in his first Test match back after that dismal performance in the Ashes. He's obviously worked hard on his technique but the fact is I think that Pakistan made a few mistakes. Uh, the first one was was not picking Mohammad Abbas. They're a very, very successful seam and swing bowler who has one of the best strike rates in world cricket, uh, better strike rate actually than Pat Cummins, and takes his wickets at 18. How they could leave him out, even though the Gabba is a, is a pretty flat pitch, I, I can't believe they, they left him out and played. They played Imran Khan, not the Prime Minister, of course, but uh, another version. And he started over the wicket to Warner. Well, we, we, was he not watching the Ashes in the summer when... Stuart Broad went round the wicket to David Warner and just gave him kittens every time, had him on a piece of toast. Uh, and uh, Imran Khan went over the wicket to Warner, who quickly got away and uh, and, and started his fluent... Look, looked, his, in the end, his fluent best, actually. Uh, opening partnership of 200 for Australia. The, the other thing that Pakistan did was... They did strange things, like they put on a, a very ordinary off-spinner, Iftikhar, instead of their very fine leg-spinner, Yasir Shah, who is over 200 wickets. So, I don't know. It, 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 sometimes these selections and on options that teams make at this very high level of cricket totally bemuse me. How did Nassim Shah go on his first, uh, not day of Test cricket, because he, he played on the first day and he batted a bit. How, how did he bowl in his first day of Test bowling? Very impressive, very impressive. Uh, I don't think I've seen a debutant quick bowler so consistent and uh, well, certainly in in view of his age, 16 years and 200-odd days, I've just never... Incredible level of maturity, of stamina, of strength, of understanding where to bowl. Really, really mature performance. Uh, he hardly bowled a, a loose ball. He hit... Two batsmen, as they looked to to try and duck out of the way of, of short balls, which didn't get up as much as they expected. He, I think, he. What, what was really impressive was he understood after lunch when Australia had got to close to well over a hundred for no wicket. He understood that there needed to be a period where they tried to build pressure. So he wasn't just charging in and bowling as fast as he could and spraying it all over the place. He was running in smoothly and bowling very fast. So he's already bowled probably 10 of the fastest deliveries in the match. And that, bear in mind, is uh, against Pat Cummins, Mitchell Stark and uh, Josh Hazelwood. So considerably quicker than any of them consistently. But also, he just worked on that ploy after lunch of just bowling very, very accurately to Warner and uh, Joe Burns. Didn't give them anything easy to hit, but still asked a, 
you know, searching question or two, still sort of probed away outside off stump, but at excellent pace. And he should have had Warner Warner's wicket. He, uh, after a sort of series of good overs from him and from one end and Yashin Shah from the other, where they only scored about 23 runs in 10 overs, say, and there were no boundaries. He bowled a, a wideish one to Warner, who had a big slice at it, got a bottom edge, threw to the keeper. So that was his first test wicket, except he overstepped. So it was a real shame, actually, because the elation of getting the first test wicket and getting Warner out as well was suddenly dashed because the umpire in the in the pavilion had spotted that he was just over the line. But highly impressive performance, and it's hard to believe he is 16. Obviously, he is, but it, it, you just you look at a guy like that and think he's been around around for for, for a while. For those who haven't seen him, Yoz, what, what sort of speeds are we talking about? You're talking about high speeds. Are we talking yeah. 90? Are we talking 95? What, what, what we're are we talking saying? 90. We're talking, it comes up on the screen in kilometres, but he was around 145, 147, uh, a couple of balls at 148, which is 92 miles an hour. So he was, he was around the 90 mile an hour mark consistently. He bowled bounces to Warner and... Joe Burns, which they only just avoided with some nifty limbo dancing. And, he, and he's got a very, very beautiful action. He runs in. People have said he looks a bit like Dennis Lilly. Other people have said he looks a bit like Darren Goff, actually, as a, as a run-up. Uh, he just has a beautiful fluid, fluidity in, in his approach. Uh, great gather at the crease with a very high left arm, which he then pulls down sharply and unleashes this this very very whippy delivery with just it 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 is a poetry in motion actually. It's it's a really glorious action. Well, I mean, it's great to hear. I mean, obviously, you know, he needs to stay fit and be consistent and and develop his game. But it's it's great to have an exciting talent burst onto the scene. Joffre Archer was at it again today. In terms of his figures, not particularly impressive. 14 overs, 4 maidens, no wicket for 40. But just before the close of play, yet again, he hit another batsman on the helmet. It was Nichols this time, and we had to have a bit of a delay while he was assessed, and on he went. Uh, I, to be confirmed whether he will continue tomorrow, because we saw in the, the warm-up game up in... Uh, Fangarai that uh, Hamish Rutherford was hit on the head. He he continued to bat, but that evening he had uh, headaches and then was withdrawn from the game under the concussion rules. Uh, I mean, Archer might come more into the game here as the match uh, goes on, but it's currently taken a couple of wickets. Leach and Stokes actually said the backup bowlers, Broad and Archer, wicketless so far, 24 overs between them, no wicket for. 60, but Broad's a canny bowler and Archer's got that slippery pace. He bowled quickly before the close as well when uh, Root brought him back for a, a burst. So that, there's the challenge uh, for New Zealand on the third day. Can they get up and around, you know, around England's score, up to it, possibly uh, beyond it? If England get, you know, a reasonable lead, then you can see them batting on, taking control of the game. Well, that, that would be the plan anyway. New Zealand's Top-class bowlers will have something to say about that as the match goes on. But uh, that's the challenge tomorrow. It feels like tomorrow, I know we say every session is important, but it feels like tomorrow is a really decisive day. What sort of leader England are going to get? Or can New Zealand get 
up to England score and, and beyond. Of course, they do that. If New Zealand do that, then the pressure will revert to England. But it, it feels as if England are in a reasonable position. They're not totally in control of the Test match, but it feels they're in a, a reasonable position. But if it looks from this distance, and I've, I've watched a bit of the action today uh, from the Gabba, it looks as if uh, Australia are heading for a, a four-day victory. I mean, it's amazing, isn't it, the Gabba? It, 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 it's such a stronghold. They, they, it's, it's so hard to shake them on this ground. They haven't lost there since uh, 1988. A formidable team. They just, it just works so well for them. I know they got a good home record in general, but the, the Brisbane, the Gabba, there's, there's something about it. It's, it's so hard for teams to, to topple them there. That's why England did so well in 2010-11, actually, to escape when they made 517 for one. Remarkable escape, really. And I suppose when I remember waking up and, and, and seeing that Cook and Strauss were still together, they put on a massive first wicket partnership and thinking, ah, things could be a bit different this time. And uh, you really have to make your mark in that first test match at the, at the Gabba and, and it looks as if Pakistan are going to be swept away. I think the reason why that happens is because the bounce at the Gabba does catch you out if you're used to, especially if you've come from a cold England or indeed even even a dusty Pakistan, the, the pitches there are not, not as bouncy. The ball tends to sort of scoot through lower in Pakistan and, and India. And at the Gabba, it, it means that you just need to, to play more back foot shots for a start. It means you need to judge the bounce and length of the ball a bit more accurately because you can't hit the ball on the up because the ball bounces and hits the top of the splice. But you can predict the bounce and therefore you can leave the ball. So it's not a place really to drive the ball unless it's really full. And in actual fact, it's, it's, it's not an easy place to pull and cut either unless you are very proficient at those shots. Uh, it's about identifying the right lengths to play certain shots and also when you're bowling on it to bowl a bit fuller than perhaps you think because you see the ball zipping off the pitch and sailing through chest high, even head high to the keeper and think, oh, yeah, that looks great. And actually, you need to be bowling a little bit fuller. And that's where I think Nazim Shah was was very impressive because he did work out that you did have to bowl fuller, but just the Australian batsmen were were equal to it, uh, apart from a couple of deliveries. You mentioned Archer, by the way, and, and hitting batsmen on the head. I mean, he reminds me a lot of that terrible... Uh, that terrifying fast bowler for Surrey, Sylvester Clark, who I had the misfortune of facing a few times, uh, because Archer gets the ball up from not all that short. That's partly because of his height and the, 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 the elevation that he lets go of the ball from, as much as his speed. Uh, but also, uh, he bowls from close to the stumps, which means the batsman hasn't got much wriggle room. And uh, Sylvester Clark, although he didn't bowl particularly close to the stumps, made the ball swing back at the right-handed batsman. So it made that it doubly difficult to avoid those bounces. And I just remember facing Sylvester Clark, and when he did bowl the bouncer, it seemed to sort of almost disappear. The ball was hammered into the pitch. And then you couldn't find it for a, minute, a millisecond until suddenly it was right in front of your nose. And inevitably, inevitably, if you're not a very good player, you sort of turn your head and, and get hit by it. And I think Archer has that same asset, that he makes the ball bounce from not as short as other players or other fast bowlers do. And therefore you lose it at some point when it goes into the pitch and suddenly it's on to you 
before you've realised that, that it's actually that height and, and, and that straight. Um, he's going to have his work cut out making batsmen leap about in New Zealand, but, mm. but still, uh, it, it's, it does give England that sort of extra cutting edge. It's going to be really interesting how he gets on on overseas pitches, bowling in test matches with the Kookaburra ball. He's already said he, you know, he doesn't particularly like the Kookaburra ball, having having bowled with it in the the first class matchup in in Fangarai. And the pitches out here are, are pretty flat. The, the pitch we're playing on uh, the Bay Oval is is quite slow as well. But he, he, once he slipped himself this evening, you know, you, you saw that that threat that. He possesses. I mean, one thing, of course, is because England have him in their armoury. It's, it's the old thing, or it's, it's become a talking point already. Is that you know Joe Root goes to him quite a lot. He's already bowled fourteen overs, Broads ten, Curran ten, uh, Leach the spinner twelve, and, and Stokes only four. So you know you, you can see clearly what's on Root's mind, and he, and he did it in the summer as well. He is going to need some support over time because you can see him being required for. All three uh, disciplines, T20, one-day internationals and test cricket, they'll have to manage him. Of course they will. And the other thing, of course, as well, is that he'll want to play in the IPL. And England are encouraging players to, to play in the IPL. So he, he'll have to be uh, well-managed. Uh, you know, He's in his first year of, of international cricket. England you know, desperately need him. He is such an important member of their side, actually. And if you think, actually, if he got injured and they took him out of the side, how how much how much more toothless if that's the right word this england attack uh, would look i suppose they need some of their uh, quick bowlers who are unfit to to come back and play you know, the likes of ollie stone and mark wood who've got that extra pace that that really unsettles the batsman and they want that as well they want to have that uh, little stock of of bowlers that can do similar things and and archer you know clearly can't do it all on his own but actually it's encouraging to see sam curran pick up a couple of wickets cuz he he was preferred to Chris Wokes, and he, he, he finds a way, Sam Curran, of, of getting batsmen out. He, sort of low 80s, uh, left armour, ball doesn't swing that much um, with the Kookaburra for, for that long, but... You know, he, he's found a way so far in his, his test career. And actually, he sort of had the real the real sort of lows and highs today because he was out first ball, out for naught. First ball, pinned LBW by uh, Southie, but he still came back. And, that, and that's the beauty, isn't it? If you, when you can do both things, bat and bowl, you've, you've always got another option. And that's what he did today. He got the first wicket. Perhaps a, a bit fortunate. Uh, Latham, was there a little inside edge on it? There was something on the hot spot, but Latham didn't uh, review it. So clearly he thought he hadn't hit it. So he got Latham and he got Williamson. He got two of the... The top three, so a uh, really good comeback from Sam Curran. He's such an he's such an interesting, exciting cricketer, and one that you know will enjoy uh, watching develop in the next few years. So that's also true of Nazim Shah. Actually, it was a shame he he went off the field towards the end of play at the Gabba, and uh, you know I just wonder. I hope his uh, sixteen overs of toil haven't caused him a, a, a bit of an injury but one other thing about him uh, and just watching him bowl with the second new ball his seam position and the, the wrist action absolutely superb slightly reminiscent of Dale Stain who just gets that ball to you know shape curve away from the right hander a touch uh, especially with a newish ball and he was still getting it to zing through at 140 kilometres, nearly 90 miles an hour, even after six hours in the field. So someone that, that people should be very excited about. And it might just be that, you know, we've got a couple of bowlers there in Archer and Nazim Shah who can trim those rather uh, 
healthy batting averages down a bit. Even someone like Steve Smith. Well, I, uh, the appetite is whetted for Steve Smith. So what Smith have we got then, Yours Four days Nazim for you, five morning. days for us. Is that how he's, he's uh, shaping he up? He recovers his fitness in time. Yeah, I think so. I think Sunday off uh, at the Gabba and Pakistan have to lick their wounds and come up with some, some new ploys because Australia at home and it's a day-night pink ball test, the second test, so that will challenge the uh, slightly vulnerable-looking Pakistan batting. And the issue here might be for New Zealand to include Lockie Ferguson in their side for the next test match, three days between first and second here in New Zealand, between Mount Monganui and, and Hamilton. Ferguson went away, actually. He was left out of the team. He went away and took five wickets for Auckland Aces, and he took four wickets in his previous game as well. So he, he's a bowler that... England might well face in the, the second test match. They want, might want to just um, mix and match a little bit, perhaps give Wagner a rest and bring Ferguson in because Australia are next up for New Zealand and there's not a great deal of time between the second test in Hamilton and the start of the uh, test series in Australia. And those crafty old Australians have sent New Zealand all the way to Perth to play a pink ball test match. So Australia would just have played a pink ball test match and New Zealand will have the, the jet lag as well because I think it's about five hours of jet lag and not much time to prepare. They'll be playing cricket, but they won't be playing cricket in Australia and they're straight into that pink ball test match in Perth. So that, that's the challenge ahead for New Zealand. The immediate challenge for them is to try to limit England's first innings lead but still plenty of cricket left in Mount Monganui I'm not saying it's definitely going to be an England win or or a draw New Zealand can't win the game but at the moment uh, England have the edge that reminds me that crafty Australian ploy of the times they used to send England to Hobart to play a warm-up game (laughs) or a cool-down game you might say before the first test in the Gabba where it's usually red hot and about 34 degrees and about 60 percent humidity so crafty tactics continue for Australia. Now, if you want a bit of reading over the weekend, by the way, uh, just to mention the Cricketer magazine, one of our best issues, I think, this month, packed with stuff, including a, a column by Mike Brearley, but lots of stuff about the expansion of the world game and a special offer on the Cricketer this month uh, for your subscription. If you go for it, you'll get a £20 John Lewis voucher or a copy of Alistair Cook's autobiography. So that's your Christmas present list, at least partly sorted, if you go for it. You go to the www.thecricketer.com forward slash Christmas and look out for that excellent deal. Thanks for listening. We'll speak to you tomorrow. Podcast Network. Mother's Day is just around the corner, and it's time to pamper the special mom in your life. And what better way than with the Osea's limited edition skincare sets, featuring clean, vegan, cruelty-free products that are safe for your skin and the planet. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been making seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. This Mother's Day, Osea has two limited edition sets that are perfect for gifting or keeping for yourself. 
Their advanced eye care duo brightens, awakens, and firms the skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths the skin all over. Both sets are packaged in giftable boxes. They're so beautiful you can skip the wrapping. And the best part? For a limited time, you can save up to $46 on Osea's sets. Plus, get free shipping. That's Mother's Day made easy. This Mother's Day, get 10% off your first order site-wide with code MOM at OseaMalibu.com. Go to OseaMalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off site-wide.